Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The book of the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, page 942. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigayanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. For the Director of Music on my stringed instruments. Well, how do you keep trusting God when life is hard? How do you keep on holding on to God and his promises, holding on to faith when things are difficult. 
It's felt, um, listening to the media this week, like we're on the edge of some kind of precipice as a world, doesn't it? How do you keep on trusting God on the edge of the precipice? Uh, Two conversations I've had with people this week. Um, Someone was describing a situation that their uh, their friend is in, and they were saying that the situation feels a bit like being locked in the dark in the basement with not even a sliver of light coming through the door. And when life feels like that, feels like being locked in the dark in the basement with not even a sliver of light... How do you keep on trusting God? Uh, Someone else said to me this week, uh, in a moment of honesty, um, I'm struggling with my faith at the moment, Andy, and I don't know if I can keep going. I wonder if uh, you've ever felt like that, struggling with your faith. Don't know if you can keep going as a Christian. It's a very practical question, isn't it? What does faith look like in the basement, in the darkness? How do you keep going when things are hard and you suffer? I don't know what your situation is here this evening. It might be that you've come in the door this evening feeling weighed down by life and by your circumstances. Maybe you've come full of anxiety about the coronavirus. Maybe you're here this evening and things actually um, feel pretty good, but you're aware that, well, statistically, we'll all face suffering someday. Well, Habakkuk is a book for us because it's a book about faith when times are tough. You see, the Lord God had said um, to the uh, the prophet Habakkuk back in the, the 7th century BC that he was sending the great nation of Babylon to take God's people into exile. Their homes were going to be trashed, their land destroyed, and they would be taken away to live in a foreign land. And Habakkuk in chapter one had cried out, why, Lord, why are you doing that? Why do you tolerate this kind of evil? And if you were here last week, you'll remember in Habakkuk two that the Lord replied and said that he will have a day of justice. He didn't answer the why question, but he did answer the how long question by saying one day there will be a day when the Lord will turn every table and right every wrong. But Habakkuk 2 verse 4, in the meantime, God said, those who are in a right relationship with God will live by faith in God's promises. The righteous will live by faith. And... um, Here at the end of the book of Habakkuk, it's a sort of a slightly different kind of chapter because instead of this dialogue between God and the prophet, instead what you've got is the prophet Habakkuk by um, uh, the inspiration of God's spirit writing a song, a prayer set to music to help the people of God as they get ready to face the exile. You know, as they stand on the edge of the precipice, as they get ready for the moment when it'll feel like life is being locked in the basement in the darkness, here is a song to show them what it means for the righteous to live by faith in God's promises, how to cling on in the darkness. 
Um, it is a song. Just notice verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigayanoth. And we don't know exactly what tune that is, but if you're a reader of the Psalms, you will know that the Shigayanoth is something that a lot of Psalms are described as being set to. Or again, at the end of the chapter, at the end of verse 19, it's for the director of music on my stringed instruments. See, here is the tune to sing, to keep trusting God when times are hard. Here is what faith looks like. And, and of course, um, you know, there are people who will give all kinds of an answer to the question of what does faith look like when times are hard. There are, uh, there are those who will say, well, faith is sort of something inside of yourself and you've just got to have faith and keep going. But I guess we know from our experience that actually that's not very helpful advice at all because in the darkness, how do you keep going? Uh, there are others who say that um, faith is this power to name it and claim it. If only you had more faith, well, the suffering would just go away and you would get the things you asked for. But any time spent reading the New Testament at all will show you that that's a lie. For Jesus said that if we would come after him, uh, if we would follow him, we would have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. That it would cost us everything control of our whole lives. And so here Habakkuk will help us to see what it really means to live by faith in the promises of God in the darkness. Uh, four things uh, I've summed it up as this evening. And the first one is this, listen to God's word. Listen to God's word. Have a look down at verse two with me. Um, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord, Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, you'll remember if you were here two weeks ago that Habakkuk 1 began with that anguished question, why, Lord, how long? Here, by Habakkuk 3, we have a song of praise. Uh, we've moved from why to worship. From fear to faith, from anxiety to awe. So what's changed for the prophet Habakkuk? Verse 2, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. You see, Habakkuk has heard God speak to him. And he has heard again of the things God did in the past. He's heard God's word uh, when you sit down in the morning and you rub the sleep out of your eyes and you get your cup of, cup of tea and you're half asleep and you open up your Bible to read it, you hear of a God who has done awesome things, a God who is good, a God who makes and keeps promises to his people. And we'll see here in Habakkuk chapter three, that's gonna be opened up in terms of the Exodus back in the Old Testament. But, um, but look, just notice the shape of Habakkuk's prayer as we start, because this verse really introduces the whole prayer, and the shape of it is this. Habakkuk has heard from God, and he prays, Lord, renew your deeds in our day. Lord, act today in the ways I know you have in the past. He's heard God's promises and God's rescue, 
and he prays, Lord, do it again. Uh, When uh, times are tough and we're in the darkness, uh, the believer doesn't look inwards uh, to uh, ourselves because when you look in, you'll only find anxiety and doubts and fears. Uh, The believer doesn't just look to our circumstances. The believer looks to God and his word. I don't know about you, often when I pray, I have a kind of clear idea of what I want God to do for me. You know, God, take that bad situation away. Give me that good thing that I want. But of course, the problem is that when I pray like that, I don't have any confidence that God will toe the line with my plans and give me all the things I'm asking for. And Habakkuk lays out a very different pattern for us at the start of this song, because Habakkuk says, Lord, keep your promises. Habakkuk hears what kind of God he has from the Bible, of God's deeds in the past, and he prays, Lord, act in line with your character. Keep your promises. Be the God you have said you will be. And when we pray like that, we can pray with confidence that God will answer uh, the Puritans back in the old, day used to talk, old days used to talk about suing God for his promises. Isn't that a great phrase? Suing God for his promises. Do the things you have promised to do, Lord. And it's what Habakkuk is doing here. In verse 2, he prays, In wrath, remember mercy. When you open up your Bible in the morning and, and wipe the sleep from your eyes and you read it, you meet a God of justice and also a God of compassion and mercy, a God who saves, who cares for people very deeply. And here is a great prayer to pray. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, be the God you've promised to be. As we read the, the headlines about the coronavirus, well, we go back to the Bible and we pray, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. When it feels like we're in the basement and there's not even a crack of light coming through the door, well, we go back to the Bible and we pray, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. At the end of our lives, we hear God's promise of eternal life and we pray, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. What a great prayer for us to pray that Habakkuk's given us. How do you keep trusting God? Listen to his word and pray it back to him. Turn it into prayer. Uh, How do you keep trusting God? Well, secondly, Habakkuk shows us, look to God's rescue. Look to God's rescue. Uh, Verses 3 to 15, the main sort of body of the the prayer, um, look back to what God did in the Exodus when he rescued his people from Egypt. They remember that God is a warrior king who is able to judge and to save. Verse 3, God came from uh, Teman, the holy one, from Mount Paran. That's the sort of region around Mount Sinai. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. You see, the big idea here is that the Lord, God, is an unstoppable rescuer. 
You know, sometimes we, we look at the world and we feel like we see little evidence of God at work and, and maybe we say, where is he? And here is a song to remind us that God has appeared in history in the past and he will again look back to the rescue, to a God who appeared in splendor and plague went before him. See, it's a kind of an image of a royal entrance in verses three to seven. Um, I know um, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan have been in the news quite a lot this year, but I was, um, I was thinking back to two years ago when they got married, and did, any, did anyone here watch that royal wedding? One or two people who tuned into their TV for that. Um, you're all looking at me blankly, but I'm trusting that there's at least one or two of you who saw that one. Um, uh, well, um, I mean, it was an extraordinary scene, wasn't it? As, um, as you know, everyone was waiting for Meghan to arrive for this wedding. And there were um, police uh, motorbikes that arrived before her and cars full of all sorts of famous people. Uh, and then a Bentley pulls up with the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh. And you think, you know, when the Queen is part of your warm-up act, you're doing quite well, aren't you? And then finally, finally, Meghan arrives, the bride for the wedding. And the picture in Habakkuk 3, to seven, uh, 3 verses 3 to 7, um, it's, um, it's not really the kind of wedding scene, but it is the scene of, um, of a great arrival. It's as if the 10 plagues in Egypt at the Exodus, it's like they were the warm-up acts, the police outriders arriving first before the glory of God coming. And verse 6, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. Here he is and nothing, nothing can stand in his way. Now you might look at the mountain ranges, whether it's the Alps or the, uh, the Andes or the Himalayas or something like that, and, and mountains, they just look so solid, don't they? So strong, so permanent. You, know, you look at the mountains and think they've been there forever. But verse 6, before the Lord, the ancient mountains simply crumble. Now it'll be like that with God's enemies, Habakkuk is saying, you know, in Habakkuk's day, the Babylonians must have looked so solid, like the mountains, like they'd never fall. I guess for us, whatever our situation it is, uh, whether it's the, the rise of secularism and militant atheism, it all looks so solid, like it'll never fall. But before the Lord, his enemies will crumble for this is the great and awesome God of the Exodus. Verses 8 to 15 describe in poetic form the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. Verse 8, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your victorious chariots? God's complete control over the forces of nature. And verse 11, it's like sun and moon stood still in the heaven at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spear. Do you get that image? It's like, um, it's like the sun and the moon are standing back and saying, whoa, this God is awesome. And you see, this is the unstoppable God of the Exodus. And the key thing in this section is that there's no doubt why God acted in that way. 
No doubt why he judged his enemies. No doubt why no one could stand before him. Verse 8, it's not because he was angry with the waters. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. See, the, the king and the people there, their destinies are tied up together and God acted to rescue them. He acted in history to save his people, defeating everything that stood against them. You know, maybe at times we wonder, does God see? Does he care? And this vision of the Exodus reminds us that yes, God sees. Yes, he cares. Yes, he is a God who keeps every one of his promises. Now, back in Exodus, he remembered his promises to his people and he acted in awesome power to deliver them. See, when we're struggling to trust God in our suffering, the believer sings the song of God's rescue with Habakkuk and feels the wonder. This is our God, not a small God, an awe-inspiring, powerful, rescuing God, a God who is for his people and delivers them. And of course, as Christian people living when we do, we have even greater reason to trust this God than Habakkuk did. Because of course, the New Testament tells us that the Exodus rescue that Habakkuk looks back to was just an illustration. It was just a visual aid of the far greater rescue of the Lord Jesus Christ who came in power to save his people. You, know, you open up any one of the Gospels and you see the Lord Jesus, our warrior king, and nothing can stop him. He is a powerful God for his people. Uh, you know, with the students, we've been looking at Mark's Gospel together since September, and in Mark, we've seen, um, we've seen Jesus caught in a storm and he just speaks a word and the storm is still complete power over the waters and the forces of nature. We've seen Jesus confronted by all the things that terrify us, by sickness, infectious disease, and Jesus just speaks the word and overcomes it. Evil, death itself, Jesus is powerful for his people. No wonder the crowds were amazed as they saw Jesus. And each one of those, like a glimpse through the keyhole of the new world that Jesus promises to bring. And of course, supremely, we see Jesus' power for his people in the most surprising place of all. Because at the cross, when Jesus died, his glory may have been veiled, it may have looked very weak, as Jesus died, but it was the ultimate powerful act of rescue. Because just like the Passover lamb died in the Exodus, in the place of the people so they could be saved, Jesus died in the place of sinful people like us so that we could be saved from God's judgment for life with him. And at the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities that stand against us, decisively defeated evil 
the victory has been won. He is our warrior king. His resurrection declares it very clearly and he will come again in unstoppable victory. And so you see, here's how you keep trusting. Here's what it looks like for the righteous person to live by faith. Look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the Jesus who you trust is a powerful rescuer, a savior who is for you, who will overcome anything and everything for you. You know, every time we meet together as a church, we preach the gospel of that Jesus and that cross because it's him that we cling to. But more than that, with Habakkuk, we sing the gospel of this awesome rescuer and remind one another of his glory. The victory has been won. God has acted. He reigns and he will return. And it's to that we turn thirdly. See, um, uh, secondly, look to God's rescue. Thirdly, wait for God's promise. Have a look down at verse 16 with me. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. (laughs) Do you hear how Habakkuk feels in verse 16. Um, This isn't a sort of dispassionate, systematic theology of facing suffering or something like that. No, his heart is pounding and his knees are knocking together with fear as he looks at his situation. All darkness and not even a sliver of light, but, but I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's, he's listened to God's word. He's looked back to God's rescue. And so he is sure that God will save again. That a day will come when God fixes all that is broken, turns every table and rights every wrong. And even though he's terrified, he is holding on to that promise. And you know, that's what the Bible means by hope. You know, the New Testament talks about those three great features of the Christian life, faith, love, and hope. And hope isn't crossing your fingers and hoping, uh, you know, that it won't rain tomorrow or something. Hope in the Bible is trusting God and waiting patiently for the day when he'll keep every one of his promises. Uh, Because, of course, there are some things that you look forward to um, so much that it changes everything about the here and now, aren't there? Uh, my, um, my wedding day was um, quite a lot less impressive than Harry and Meghan's, to be fair. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, it meant an enormous amount uh, to me. Uh, about Just about 11 years ago, I proposed to Jess, and we fixed a date for our wedding. And um, I'll be honest, uh, it, it wasn't the easiest year of my life uh, that year. There's some pretty tough things happened, to be honest. Uh, And not to mention it, we had to organize a wedding, which, to be honest, isn't much fun to organize. But the big day was on the horizon. There was something we were looking forward to and hoping for that kind of lifted the shoulders and gave light to our eyes in every situation. 
You might not be married here, but I'm sure you know the sort of thing I mean, whether it's the birthday, Christmas, that summer holiday that you're looking forward to, maybe not this year because you probably can't fly, but, um, but whatever it is, that thing you look forward to that lifts your shoulders and lights your eyes, whatever you're going through now. And Habakkuk says, even though he's terrified and his heart pounds, he knows that the day will come when God will powerfully rescue and turn the tables. He's done it before, he'll do it again. The day will come when justice will roll like a river, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What Revelation calls the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when we see Jesus face to face. You see, this is what it means to keep trusting him in hard times. Open up God's word, see that he has rescued before, and hold on, counting down the days, as it were, for the day when he will come again, and you'll see him face to face, and he'll wipe every tear from your eye, and turn every table against those who cause misery and suffering. Wait for God's promise. But then finally, and very briefly, at the end of this song of Habakkuk's, we find um, Habakkuk finding joy in God himself. And so as you wait, find joy in God himself. Verse 17. Uh, This is a stunning picture of suffering in the exile, isn't it? Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. See, there's nothing glib about Habakkuk's prayer here. Uh, There's no kind of facile, oh, God might be at work in your life. No, look, he's not talking about making do without Waitrose's finest figs for a few weeks, or even there being no loo rolls on the shelves. He's talking about starving because the Babylonians have destroyed everything and there's no food. And he says, even then, if I starve, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Finding joy in God when there is nothing else, even when everything is lost, God is still there. Now, how is that possible? Well, it's because he remembers the kind of God that he has. I will, re- I will be joyful in God my saviour, a rescuing God, a personal God, God my saviour, a sustaining God. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Do you see, Habakkuk says he will not be crippled by suffering. He'll remain light-footed because even in the valley, even in the darkness where there's no sliver of light, even when everything is lost, God is still there. And he knows that his God is a God who will save one day. Uh, God gave us the book of Habakkuk to prepare the people of God for exile 
And the New Testament says that Christians, we live in a time of exile. We're away from the Lord, waiting for him to come and act decisively and bring us home. And God does give us many good things to enjoy in this present world. Praise him when they come. But we mustn't presume they'll always come. And yet we see here that even if everything is lost, God is still there and we can rejoice in him. The Romanian pastor Richard Vermbrandt was um, imprisoned by the communists for 14 uh, years uh, in Romania and he wrote these words some uh, time after he was released. The communists believe that happiness comes from material satisfaction, but alone... In my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. He describes a joy that sometimes was just bursting out of him so that he had to tell someone about it. How is it possible to rejoice when you have nothing, where there's nothing left in the darkness? Well, because God is still there. He's a God who has rescued and a God who will rescue again who's coming back, and we will see him face to face. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you can say for certain, God loves me. He has rescued me from the penalty of my sin. He lives within me, and he will deliver me. I will see him face to face. And so whatever's going on in the world or in the church, whatever circumstances you face today or tomorrow, You can trust him. You can hold on to his promises and he will hold on to you. And you can find joy in knowing him even when there's nothing left. So often don't we think that happiness is found in our plans or our prosperity or we'll be happy if only our circumstances change. But true joy is found in him alone, in Christ who died for you and will come again to deliver you. So how do we keep on trusting God when it's hard? What does it look like for the righteous person to live by their faith? Listen to God's word and pray it back to him. Look back to his rescue. Wait for his promised future rescue and find your joy in knowing him. But as I close, I just want to come back to the fact that this chapter is not a sermon, but a song. Yes, as we struggle, prayerfully read your Bible. Yes, listen to preaching, but let's sing these truths to one another. Don't, um, if I can put it like this, don't let suffering zip your lips closed this evening. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us. And this evening, let's sing the truths of the gospel to one another to remind ourselves that this is the God we can hold on to. So let's pray and then we'll sing with Habakkuk and with one another. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. We look in your word back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that great exodus for us. 
And we pray, Lord, renew your works in our day. In our time, make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy. And we ask that whatever we face today, that you would give us grace to rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name and for his glory. Amen.